This is an ABC podcast. Good morning. This is Pacific Beat on ABC Radio Australia. Today on the show, a Solomon Islands seasonal worker in Australia threatens to sue his employer, saying injuries suffered while on the job have hit him and his family hard. My wife back home don't understand me, what's happened to me here. So yeah, now... You know, my wife divorced me. And we head to Australia's biggest world music festival and hear from a PNG artist, Danielle, to find out how her life has changed since winning Pacific Break last year. And... The Fiji and Gua are up in Nautoka. What a game. We live that exquisite moment when the Fijian Indra stunned fans by trouncing reigning champions the Crusaders in the Super Rugby Pacific. All that and more today on the show. I'm Priyanka Srinivasan. So glad to have your company. First, though, Beijing has addressed diplomatic concerns after the Federated States of Micronesia's outgoing leader accused China of political warfare in his country. Micronesian President David Panuelo wrote an impassioned letter to Congress calling for ties to be severed with China in favor of Taiwan and accused China of espionage and bribery. China's foreign ministry, though, the spokesperson has said slander and accusations against her country are inconsistent with facts and said China's respect uh, respects Micronesia's development path. For some analysis on these developments, we're joined by Dr. Graeme Smith, Associate Professor at the Australian National University. Uh, good morning to you, Graeme. Good morning. Um, so let's start with, I guess, what sparked this all, this letter from uh, Micronesian President pa- David Panuelo. How significant is this letter? Um, yeah, no, it's a real, it's a very shocking document. I mean, when you start reading it, it's quite long. It runs to, I think, 15 pages. And you're thinking, where's all this leading? And then on the basically the second last page, he says, yes, and I've, I've applied to switch to, to Taiwan. Um, so it's immensely significant because the tide since um, the early noughties has pretty well been running the other way. You've had countries switching to China rather than to Taiwan. Uh, so, yeah, if the switch does happen and, and there seems to be time enough to make it happen, um, it would be uh, a major diplomatic coup for Taiwan and certainly it won't look good on the resume of Chen Bo, the special envoy uh, to the Pacific for China. Mm, yes, because he was, I guess, named in the letter itself, isn't it? Um, mm. um, President Panamala had something to say about uh, Chen Bo, this, this newly uh, elected, appointed uh, envoy to the Pacific. Yeah, well, he seems to blame Chen Bo for a couple of thugs that followed him around um, at the PIF last year, and he, he basically calls him out. And Chen Bo had visited FSM um, literally a few days before um, he he sort of published this letter. And Chen Bo at the time, I think, had said, you know, that China is the future of the Pacific, all the generic things that he would say. Um, so, yeah, it looks particularly bad for him. Mm. I mean, what do you make of, of China's response to all of this? They've I mean, released a short statement via the ministry spokeswoman at, at their regular press briefing, briefings saying that they respect Micronesia's development path. Not much is made about the specifics in that letter, as you mentioned, some of those accusations there. But they have defended. They said that, you know, that these the slander against China is against the facts. Do you think behind the scenes, though, China would be worried about this letter? 
Oh, they'd be deeply concerned. I mean, the Northern Pacific is a different kettle of fish entirely to the South Pacific from a strategic point of view. Um, it's adjacent to Guam, uh, which is would be one of the targets in the event uh, of, of China retaking Taiwan. Um, and it would also be somewhere that the uh, US Navy would have to travel through um, were they to... Um, if you like, retake Taiwan for the Taiwanese people. Um, <clears throat> so, so yeah, it's uh, it, it's an incredibly significant development. I, I feel a little bit sorry for the poor old Chinese official though when she fronts the uh, fronts the press because at the moment that China's having its two meetings, which is the most um, sensitive time politically possibly in China's history. So she really can't you know deviate from the the script in any way because uh, they've just voted in Xi Jinping for his third term in power by uh, uh, two thousand or so votes. To zero and a great feat of democracy um so yeah it's an awkward time for them they, they really can't uh, can't say much at all mm, very interesting um and you mentioned there that um you know there is time for micronesia to make the switch uh, as outlined by um, president <coughs> panuelo from china to taiwan um obviously it's a, the congress's decision there to to finally go ahead with it how likely do you reckon that that would actually happen Look, he's made a he's made a pretty pretty strong case, um, and certainly, I mean, the thing that about the letter is a lot of it's about China, but a lot of it's also about his colleagues. Um, and he, you know, more or less says the majority of you have taken money from China. He calls them out and puts a number on it. Um, he only names one individual in particular who's been offered bribes by China, um, but he chooses the vice president. I think on the basis that he he obviously refused these bribes that were that were made to him, on the basis that the vice president president might in future be a candidate for president. Um, so it's, uh, you know, it's really, really hard to tell. I mean, FSM politics are, are very, very hard to pick. Um, certainly, David Panuelo himself didn't expect to be president last time around. So um, we find out in May who, who actually gets the uh, gets the job. Um, but yeah, it, there's there's certainly time to, to, to move things along in terms of the switch. And the Pacific's, you know, seen no shortage of, of short-term switches. We've seen them in Vanuatu, we've seen them in PNG. Um, the difference this time, I guess, is Australia used to encourage countries to stay with China. Um, but I think, um, you know, the times have changed. Oh, so do you think uh, Australia might have something to say about this or, or might, you know, step back and watch it all unfold? What, what are other countries' interests when it comes to these diplomatic relations? Yeah, I think I think we saw fairly clearly in in the case of um, Solomon's that uh, you know if you if you went back to 1998 with Bill Skate, um, he was essentially pressured by Australia to to stay with China. Um, I think there won't be any active you know, like here's our support for you to go with Taiwan. Um, <laughs> But um, certainly no one's going to be, uh, you know, making Beijing's case uh, as it were, as, as we used to do in the past. I mean, Kevin Rudd, uh, you know, used to basically describe Taiwan as, as you know, this insurgent force that was destabilising the Pacific. Um, that's not how they're seen now, even though there's this interesting moment in the letter where he, he hints that some of his colleagues have also been taking money from Taiwan. Mm, yes. I mean, these these the allegations that have been made in this letter by President Penwell are quite serious. Um, as you mentioned before, you know, he has also talked about China committing espionage, said that they've bribed local politicians and attempted to undermine the nation's sovereignty. I, have, are these allegations that we've heard before? Are they news to you, Graham? Do they hold much water? 
Look, I, I, I think um, they're, they're definitely of uh, character that we've seen before. What's different is we're hearing this out of the mouth of a president rather than mm. out of the mouth of an investigative journalist who can't comment because of defamation laws. <laughs> um, so, so you know, they, none of these things are beyond the realm of possibility. And as you say, they, they range from the extremely serious, um, where he basically says, you know, you've had your research vessels in here um, spying on us and, and seeking out basically routes for your submarines, um, to the kind of absurd where he, he says he had to change his phone because the Chinese ambassador was calling him incessantly um, to, uh, to to use their vaccines. And, um, and in the end, they just said, look, all right, sure, we'll, we'll take some of your vaccines, but we won't use them. And they got put on a list saying uh, FSM approved China's vaccines. I mean, it's funny, the letter sort of gives us a peek behind some of these things that perhaps we hear about um, in public, but don't really have specifics on. Isn't it, Graham? It's, it's, it's funny, you know, looking at the behind the curtain of, of these diplomatic um, talks, sort of. Yeah, well, I think I think that's what will will enrage China more than, than anything. Mm. I mean, and, and and the level of detail um, in the letter is is quite extraordinary. I mean, talking about people um, in his cabinet recording bilateral meetings and sending the recordings to China. I mean, really quite. Um, oh my goodness! Like you know, I guess that could have happened, but uh, you know, really quite. Um, shocking depth of penetration, if you like, of, of the political elite. Mm. Um, now, this is all, you know, I guess, as you said, that President Panamala sort of buried the lead, but it sort of came to, his letter came to the switch um, from China to Taiwan, which might happen, as we were discussing before. If it does happen, if, if um, the Federated States of Micronesia decide to switch ties and um, ally with Taiwan, what impact does that have on the wider Pacific? Yeah, it's, uh, like I said, the Northern Pacific strategically really, really different um, to uh, the Southern Pacific because uh, they would be directly involved in any conflict over Taiwan. Um, China has a missile called the Guam Killer, uh, and he references Guam numerous times throughout the letter. So, you know, it, it definitely does tip the strategic balance um, towards the US. I think the the tension that wasn't there in the past about FSM recognising China rather than Taiwan um, is definitely there now, given that China... Um, Basically, China has put Taiwan under existential threat. Uh, so, in terms of the rest of the Pacific, yeah, they'll be, you know, <laughs> they'll definitely be getting phone calls to make a statement condemning the switch. You can be sure of that. Mm. Um, but, but yeah, I think from a US point of view, if this if this goes ahead and there's no certainty it will, um, they'll be uh, they'll be quite pleased. Yes, I mean, you you are mentioning the United States there. What, what can we make of their influence in this, if there is any? Uh, they're obviously keen for, for countries in the Pacific to switch ties from China to Taiwan? Yeah, they are. And uh, it's it's an odd thing because it really doesn't, you know, it, it doesn't shift too much on the ground. Um, you know, China can still go in there and, and, and shake you up, um, even if it doesn't have representatives on the ground. And in many cases, it can yeah, if you look at the case of Palau, where, where Chinese organised criminals are you know, basically running riots throughout the country and you know, the Chinese police seem to be just saying, oh, you know, your problem, you don't recognise us. Um, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily play great, um, you know, in terms of what it actually brings about. Um, but where it is important is this matters. This is the core issue for China in the Pacific. And it's a huge, um, they will take it as a huge slap in the face because that is their number one concern. They see it as an issue of sovereignty and they see a switch like this as a violation of their sovereignty. 
you know, even though it has little practical impact on the ground. Mm. And you mentioned before, Graeme, that, you know, it seems like the tides are turning. We saw um, a couple of nations, Kiribati and, and Solomon Islands, switch ties from Taiwan to China back in 2019. Now we're seeing sort of hints of perhaps the opposite ha- happening with um, countries allied with China perhaps changing to Taiwan. Do you feel like things are changing in the Pacific when it comes to geopolitics, when it comes to recognition of China? Particularly, you know, the Pacific Islands Forum has recently elected Wonga, a very critical, Mm. um, you know, a very vocal critic of China as its leader. Are tides turning? Yeah, they are. And I don't think it's necessarily become, you know, more front of mind for um, Pacific leaders. Um, The prospect of a war with Taiwan definitely makes it a focus for the northern Pacific. I think a lot of Pacific leaders are frustrated that, you know, this theatre is taking, um, you know, the focus off climate change, taking the focus off poverty, um, these sorts of issues, day-to-day issues that they would like to see um, like to see addressed. But, yeah, it's, um, you know, the, the question I think if the switch does happen would be, you know, is, is anyone else um, likely to uh, flip across? Because if you're, this is the point he makes, it's about money. And if your country is small enough that Taiwan can meet your needs, and even offer more than what China is offering, um, then, you know, why not switch um, to, uh, to a democracy rather than a, you know, an increase in the autocratic state? Mm, yeah, so very interesting to find out if that switch does happen and what that means for the rest of the region. Uh, Dr. Graeme Smith, thank you for the, your time this morning. Thank you. That was Dr. Graeme Smith from ANU speaking to us there about uh, the Federated States of Micronesia's letter criticizing China's influence in the country. And we also talked about China's response to those accusations. What do you think about uh, allegiances between China, Taiwan, or don't you quite care? Are there more important things that you care about? Get in touch with us at ABC Pacific is where you can find us. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Pacific Beat. As the number of Pacific seasonal workers in Australia reaches record highs, questions are being raised around workers' rights and health coverage. It comes as one Solomon Islands worker threatens to sue his employers over injuries on the job. It's a complex issue, and as Liam Fox reports, it'll be a case of watch, uh, the case watched closely by both workers and companies. For Moses Tataiora, the opportunity to come to Australia as a seasonal worker was the chance of a lifetime. When I come here to Australia, I come here to make earn money because, you know, in Solomon Island, there's a very low percentage of job for the unemployed like me. So it's a very struggle for me and I got big plans back in Solomon. But those plans were shattered after he was injured on a farm in North Queensland. I get married last year. My wife back home don't understand me, what's happened to me here. So, yeah, now, you know, my wife divorced me because of my accident and she don't understand what happened to me here. In October last year, Mr Tataiora says he fell off the back of a slow-moving ute. He injured his back and spent two weeks in hospital with spinal shock, unable to feel or move his legs and feet. After his release, he says his employer, Labor Hire Agency Top of the Crop, tried to rush him back to work. Here's Mr Tatayora's lawyer, Gary Scott. Not long after his injury, when he, got, when he got out of hospital, before he was fully recovered, the employer was trying to force him back to work. He wasn't in a position to go back to work. His visa have subsequently been cancelled as well, so we're trying to organise things with uh, immigration so that he can get back onto a, uh, a seasonal worker visa uh, so that he can start working again. 
Mr Tatayora terminated his contract, which means he's not covered by workers' compensation insurance or health insurance. So Mr Scott is pursuing a personal injury claim against his employer on his behalf. I feel very frightened because we Solomon Island workers, we come here, as you see work here, we don't really understand our rights. In a statement, Top of the Crop denied any poor treatment of Mr Tatayora. It said it was Mr Tatayora who was very keen to get back to work after his release from hospital and he was not forced. Mr Tatayora returned to light duties for two days, then revisited his treating practitioner who performed a further thorough examination. Following that, Mr Tatayora provided us with a full medical clearance to return to his pre-injury duties. Despite this, and as an abundance of caution, we elected to retain him on light duties. Before Mr Tatiora could return to his pre-injury duties, his solicitor confirmed that he had resigned from his employment. Top of the Crop said the incident was investigated by the government agency WorkSafe. That investigation has been closed and no prohibition notice was issued against the company. It said it was unaware of any current litigation against the company, but if pursued, it will be vigorously defended. Lawyer Gary Scott is also pursuing a separate personal injury claim for another Solomon Islander who fractured his wrists while working for another employer harvesting bananas on another Queensland farm last year. Mr Scott has previously lived in Solomon Islands and speaks Solomon's Pigeon and says workers like Mr Tateora need to be more educated about their rights in the event of a workplace injury. If we hadn't met him and advised him of his rights, he may very well have been sent back to our Solomon Islands because we have heard, unfortunately, of some injured Solomon Islanders who were sent back to Solomon Islands without knowing their rights. Pacific Beat has sought comment from the Department of Employment and Workplace Relations, which oversees the operation of the Pacific Labor Scheme. That was Liam Fox with that report. Tune in to ABC Radio Australia this Friday at 4pm PNG time to hear the winner of the 2022 Pacific Break Competition, PNG's own Danielle Morgan, performing live at Womadelaide. With her soulful voice and enchanting melodies, Danielle left the crowd wanting more. Danielle Morgan recorded live at Womadelaide this Friday at 4pm PNG time on ABC Radio Australia, yours in the Pacific. Now it's in that time where we find out what's making news around the region. But you would have just heard that Danielle's performance from Womadelaide is coming up here on ABC Radio Australia. And we'll also be speaking to Hugo Hodge coming up in the show, who is at Womadelaide, who met Danielle, who asked her about how her last few months have been since winning a Pacific break. So do stay tuned. In about 15 minutes or so, we'll cross to Hugo to hear all about that. But now we're crossing to Kyle Evans to bring us the news around the region. Good morning to you, Kyle. Good morning, Priyanka. How are you going? Yes, good. Thank you. Are you excited to hear from Danielle after her win last last year? We haven't heard from her much since then. That's right. I do remember when you uh, announced uh, that she'd won right. uh, Pacific break last year, really emotional scene. So yeah, it'll be good to catch up with her. Yeah, and see what's happened since then. Um, but we have uh, some other news from around the Pacific. Um, first, let's start off, well, in Japan, actually, because preparations are underway there 
with the country's foreign minister set to visit the Pacific. What can we expect? That's right. So uh, Yoshimasa Hayashi so is, expect- is expected to visit the Solomon Islands, Kiribati and the Cook Islands uh, later this month, so pretty soon. Um, this is reported by the Daily Yamuri, who is the uh, newspaper on Sunday. And, and like you said here, he is the uh, foreign minister of Japan, so a very high-ranking delegate. Um, that visit is ex- expected to take place between March 18 and 22. And uh, talks are going to centre around uh, basically cooperation uh, in regards to a free an open Indo-Pacific. A new security deal is potentially going to be on the cards Mm, as well. That'll be discussed. And this, of course, follows uh, China's security pact uh, with the Solomon Islands, which I'm not sure if you've heard has uh, made a few countries quite nervous. (laughs) Yes, yes. As we were talking about um, with uh, Dr. Graham Smith earlier as well, it's all that geopolitics with with China um, and the United States. And we'll see what in Japan. Interesting to hear that it also wants to do a security deal. Um, China China's regional wide one had been shelved. But the other thing when you think about China, Japan and, and Pacific at the moment, at least, is Japan's plans to release that nuclear wastewater from its Fukushima um, power plant uh, into the Pacific. It's been mm-hmm. widely criticized by Pacific leaders. Do we know if that'll be, you know, one of the topics brought up during the foreign minister's visit? Yeah, so he has confirmed uh, that it will be, and, and probably no surprises there either, given uh, it has been quite a, a source of tension and fear uh, in recent months. Yeah, like you said, there's fears that up to 1 million tonnes of that water is still contaminated. Uh, it has been deemed safe by regulators, uh, it's worth pointing out, but uh, it's obviously alarmed some Pacific nations. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see uh, how those talks play out. Yes, yes, very interesting. And um, we will bring you later this week um, a, a chat with some of the scientists looking into that nuclear wastewater to see if what they have to say about whether or not it's safe for the Pacific. Um, yeah, very interesting stuff. And we'll be interested to see what the outcome of those talks mm. um, uh, later on uh, with China and Pacific leaders. Um, oh, not China, Japan and Pacific leaders. <laughs> too many too many countries getting a piece of the Pacific, if you ask me. Um, now let's head, well, to another country interested in the Pacific. It's the United States. President Joe Biden has handed down the country's proposed federal budget, and it indicates um, some massive investment in the Pacific. What exactly does that investment look like? Yeah, a lot of money. So $7.1 billion are in funding to be exact. So uh, this is according to uh, the uh, uh, AAP in Washington, uh, and that money would be shared across the Marshall Islands, Micronesia, and Palau uh, as a counter to China's uh, success in, in essentially wooing Pacific nations uh, in, in in recent months. So that money would be also be paid out over 20 years and essentially it would extend uh, some of those arrangements that uh, the US has currently got going on with those three states um, that provide uh, essential services, um, economic support uh, in exchange for things like military basing rights and other prefer- uh, preferential treatment. Yeah, so very interesting. Obviously, it's Congress that has to sign up, uh, off on that and it's um, yeah a bit hard to say whether it will approve that aid, especially how um, divisive uh, U.S. politics can be. But, yeah, interesting to keep an eye on what happens there. Now to some sporting news. and um, The PNG Hunters have claimed a win to open the Queensland Rugby League season. 
Wow, that's great news, isn't it? Yeah, great news. It was certainly uh, no fairy tale return for the Western Clydesdales, who uh, lost 20 to 10 to the Hunters. Um, so they hosted the Hunters uh, in Toowoomba in what was their first game uh, since 2006. So they've just returned to the competition. So, yeah, obviously it was a really emotional, historic game uh, for some of the fans out there. They love their footy out in uh, sort of in Toowoomba, which is just west of Brisbane. Uh, but, yeah, luckily the Hunters uh, did ruin the party. They ran in three first uh, the three first tries of the match. Uh, the Clydesdales did respond a little bit in the mm-hmm. second half, um, but it was all too little, too late there. Um, uh, Hunter's young fullback, uh, Moray Moray, was named uh, Man of the Match. He was actually Digicel Cup Player of the Year last year, so to win Man of the Match on debut is a, is a really impressive feat. He was obviously full of praise for his teammates and uh, just spoke about what, what an inc- uh, you know incredible experience it was to be out there. Obviously playing, you know, what's it's the highest level of his career after uh, yeah winning Digicel Cup Player over the year last year. Sherwin Tanabe, who we had on the show last week, uh, praised his effort as well, as well as the other Digicel Cup boys who uh, who made their debut. So, yeah, great win for the Hunters. They'll have the, um, uh, the Logan Magpies next week before finally returning home in round three. That was the spine-tingling moment when the Fiji and Drua edged ahead of the Canterbury Crusaders to snatch victory in the dying seconds of reigning Super Rugby champions. The dramatic one-point win in front of jubilant fans at Latoka's Church Hill Park marked the Fijians as a team to watch in this season of Super Rugby Pacific. Joining us now is Fijian Ndrua superfan and journalist of MyTV, Lavenia Laitiverata. Good morning to you. Uh, good morning. Good morning. Um, so did you watch the game? What was, uh, uh, what was the reaction like when the final whistle blew on Saturday? Oh, my goodness. It was exactly as you witnessed. Um, you know, the, the crowd just went, it was... It was tremendous. It was, it was, it was, it's big. In fact, I mean, people are still talking about that win, and rightly so. I mean, to win against a team like the Crusaders, the defending champions, like the 11 time Super Rugby champions. I know. That, that, that's huge. And, and what a way to win as well, just in the dying seconds. I mean, did you expect that to happen? I mean, honestly, this is, this is something that we've, we weren't thinking that, that 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 will happen. You know, in fact, you know, I mean, based on past experiences, we've you know the Fiji teams we know of the Fiji teams like into the dying minutes, and when the when the opponent is is leading, it's just like oh, okay, you know, this won't be, it won't look like it. But this is like a huge growth. You know, they in fact they were in they were trailing from like in nil twelve after McDonald's got those two tries. And when you think you think for a, for a Fiji team, it's like it's all done. You know, there's there's no coming back from here. But then they pull through, and that's that's huge for a Fijian rural team, for a Fijian side, for that matter. Yes, yes, to pull through like that, you know, resurrect. I guess the the team um, after those two tries. I mean, how important is this win for the Fijian Druas campaign for the rest of the season? I mean, it is the only only the third game of the season. Are you still celebrating? Is it still too early? Uh, yeah, people have said that this is this is just the third round, and you'd have to you'd have to 
it is only the second year for the Fijian Jura, but it was like less than a year ago they played the Crusaders in May last year. It was like a huge, the Fiji Crusaders won over them by a huge margin, it was 61 3. Mm. Now, to turn that around in less than a year, to turn that around in less than a year, the Fijian Jura, you know, we think yes, you know, they played, again, people said that it was a, a B team. But a big team, but they also had a few all backs in there. That's still a formidable team, nevertheless, you know. But the Fijian Drua rose to the occasion. The Fijian Drua played their hearts out, and they played in front of a huge crowd, huge home crowd. And it was, I think, they, they just set the platform for the rest of the home games. And now, I mean, I, I think, you know, the organizers, they'd have their hands full trying to make sure that they, you know, they have enough tickets at least to sell off. Yeah, I, I know. Exactly. I'm sure people are clamoring, uh, clamoring for those tickets now. I mean, Lavinia, you mentioned there the Crusaders played their, their B squad, it said. Do, do you do you think they underestimated the Endura? Did they? Did and they? Yeah. That's the feeling. That's the feeling that they might have done that. Mm. Um, I think, you know, uh, Scott Barrett, the captain, when he was interviewed, after the game, he said they were they dangerous. The draw, the game, the draw are dangerous at home, and I think that that is a warning. He just sounded a warning to the rest of the the opposition that's going to come across for home games in Fiji. You know, don't underestimate the Fijian draw. You know, just bring your bring your team. I will will show you a Fijian hospitality. You know, for the, the, the you know you'd be that'd be like the. You know, the big, the major, yeah, you still, they are still all those big major teams, you know, and they'll be just like, you know, they, Fijians look up to them because they've played in the Super Rugby for a good number of years, for as long as the Super Rugby has been in existence. Mm. You know, but for the two years on the pitch, for the, sorry, for the two hours of the pitch, it'll be all for Fijian Drua. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think the other teams in Super Rugby will, will think twice now, isn't it, before taking on the Indrua? They won't make the same mistake again. I think so. I believe so. And it'll be good too uh, for rugby, for rugby in Fiji particularly. You know, this is a platform for Fijian rugby uh, players coming through the pathway, the Fiji rugby pathway. And if they, they bring their big teams, they bring their the teams that they they would um, field every other game. I mean, that'd be great. That'd be great for rugby. That'd be great for rugby in the Pacific all around. Mm. And, and where to now, uh, Lavinia? What what is the, does the Indrua have in store for the rest of the the fixture? I think um, you know this is a confidence booster. Mm. This is like a big win. This has set the platform for the rest of the Indrua games, whether home or away. And I think it'll be, you know, it'll be a team to watch. It'll be not only their second year and to be able to do that and to have the home crowd, um, you know, cheering them on like they did on Saturday. I think the the, the Indrua boys are, are on a good, they have good backing. They're a good home crowd. They have a good uh, team, uh, sorry, support wherever they play. So I think they'll be... They'll be all right. Yeah, they'll be all right indeed. Yes, we'll, it's, we'll, it will be exciting to see where they go from here. Uh, Lavinia, thank you so much for your time this morning. Oh, thank you for having me on. Uh, that was Lavinia Lighty Verita with, um, from MyTV. She's a Fijian Indrua superfan. We were talking about that Fiji Indrua win against the Canterbury Crusaders there in Lautoka over the weekend. 
Inside Rugby League on ABC Radio Australia, hosted by ABC Sport commentator Zane Bojack. Inside Rugby League is a weekly look at the lighter side of rugby league, featuring game insights, latest news and interviews with rugby league legends and from around the edges. So close to the action, you can almost taste the turf. Inside Rugby League, Tuesday nights at 6 p.m. PNG time on ABC Radio Australia, your home of rugby league in the Pacific. You are listening to ABC Radio Australia. This is Pacific Beat. And Pacific artists have been on show this weekend at Australia's biggest world music festival, Warm Adelaide. Among them is Pacific Break's 2022 winner, Danielle, from Papua New Guinea, for her debut performance at the international event. And joining us now to talk about it all is on the line, Hugo Hodge, uh, ABC from ABC Pacific. Good morning to you, Hugo. Good morning, Priyanka. How are you? I'm very, very well and very excited to hear about how your weekend has been. You're there in Womadelaide with Danielle. How has it all been with Danielle and the band so far? Uh, it's been such a fabulous weekend so far, Priyanka. We um, welcomed Danielle and the band in Adelaide on Thursday night. They were literally bursting with excitement, so much so that they actually convinced the bus driver to pull over on the side of the road out of, on the way out of the airport <laughs> so they could all jump out and get a group photo in front of the Welcome to Adelaide sign. Um, but, yeah, we um, we started the weekend with an Indigenous Welcome to Country from Ghana and Naronga man Jamie Goldsmith at a place uh, in the centre of town, which is nowadays called Victoria Square, but going back thousands of years was a meeting place for the Ghana people to share music, song, dance, uh, with language groups, different language groups from across the region. So it was very much a fitting welcome um, for the weekend ahead because that's what Wom Adelaide's all about. It's a celebration of music and culture from all corners of the globe. And it's really an exciting time to be in Adelaide right now because the Wom Adelaide Festival is happening in parallel with the Fringe Festival. It's the second biggest Fringe Festival in the world. Oh, so wow. the city really is alive day and night and Danielle and the band have, you know, been exploring the city and the festival, seeing live music, meeting other artists, doing interviews. So it's been action-packed and they've been having a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it indeed sounds action-packed, a lot to get through um, during the weekend. But we can't forget the reason why Danielle is there is because she won, I mean, incredibly won, became the first female winner of Pacific Break last year in 2022. And part of that that winning is is to head to Adelaide to experience Adelaide, all, all the all the um, fringe festivities as, you, as you've been talking about, Hugo. But also perform there. Has she spoken about? Did she tell you how it was, how it's been since winning that competition last year? Yes, Priyanka. Yes, from the sound of things, it's been completely hectic. So I did actually get to sit down with her for a chat about what she's been up to since winning Pacific Break. Here's what she had to say. Ever since Pacific Break, my emails are just like constantly, you know, people are looking for gigs and all of that. Um, everybody knows what I look like when I cry now. <laughs> um, but it's there's a lot more recognition. But yeah, it's it's been very different since since winning Pacific Break. Um, I've been hiding a little bit more than I normally would. But all in all, I think the one good thing like I will have to point out is there's been a lot of women reaching out and I am actually really blessed for that alone because the stories that I've been told about, you know, some people's personal struggles and the fact that what I'm doing is actually giving them a little bit of hope, that's 
Yeah, that's a big thing. You know, I'm really, really grateful that at least I can be that person for someone. Oh, that's so sweet. So sweet. And, you know, I actually saw that in action on Saturday after Danielle's performance where three ladies from P&G who actually live in Adelaide were out the front of the hotel waiting for Danielle um, for her to get back. Um, Unfortunately, they'd missed out on tickets to the actual gig because it had sold out. But, um, you know, when Danielle saw them back at the hotel, she she, um, came down and met them at the hotel bar and you know, hung out with them there and chatted to them for for over an hour. So, oh, that's so yeah. sweet. I mean, it's it's it sounds like she went like you know Danielle has been a musician in PNG for a long time, but it's, it sounds like she's gone from you know living her life normally since winning winning Pacific Break. She's gone into hiding. She's become a celebrity there. It sounds like people are going to a hotel, hounding her down. I mean, it's a lot of pressure for for an uh, artist like Danielle. Is she was she feeling feeling the nerves ahead of her performance there, Hugo? Yeah, she was. She was super excited for the gig on Saturday, and but she did say she was feeling a bit stressed. Um, she also said she was nervous, but to be honest, it, it didn't show. She's such a great personality and so lively. Um, you know, on Friday night, we went to the Garden of Unearthly Delights, which is oh. a, sort of a big fair area um, that's part of the Fringe Festival. And um, we stopped at this piano bar and uh, we were having a drink there and then suddenly out of nowhere, Danielle gets up on the stage with the with the piano player and together they performed a duet of You Make Me Feel Like a Natural Woman by Aretha Franklin. Wow, and just impromptu just, yeah, out of nowhere. Yeah, impromptu out of nowhere. It was uh, such an amazing moment and, you know, the crowd loved it as well. Like there was a big round of applause. Yeah, it was oh. fantastic. And I think... I think she just wanted to test out the vocal cords on on a stage before the big show. Um, That's a sign yeah, of but, a of a really good artist, I think. If they can, at a drop of the hat, you know, no no preparation or anything, just pick up a mic and and bust out a tune. Uh, yeah, exactly. it goes to show why she won Pacific Break, I think. Exactly, um, but yeah, I think you know she had she said that she had had a lot of sleepless nights in the lead up to the trip and. Mm not just because of the weight of expectations, you know, now flying the flag for P&G and for the performance at WOM Adelaide, but um, because we really got down to the wire with the visa processing now. It's, Mm. you know, it's well known that Australian visa processing is a bit of a cumbersome process for Papua New Guineans. Um, And, uh, you know, some of the band members were a bit slow getting their passports sorted. So, unfortunately, um, for this trip, a couple of the original band members from Kokopo weren't able to get their documents in on time. So Danielle had to travel to Port Moresby two weeks out from the trip to Adelaide to recruit some session musicians. So Danielle reached out to her friend, Darren. Uh, he's a session musician based in Port Moresby and to get him to fill in on the drums. And you know what? We're lucky that he was able to make it too, because here's why. Danielle called me to come to Australia to uh, perform in the Warm Adelaide Festival. I got a call, and then two days later, I had a, a baby girl. Yeah, it was, it was the film was overwhelming. So it was like two, two most exciting thing that happened in my life all at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh, a baby girl, and then coming to Adelaide, <laughs> just a yeah. Oh gosh, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. It's, Yes, so shout out to um, Darren's wife and and his new baby girl. Um, yeah. yeah, but uh, it was uh, yeah for the for a lot of the band members, it was their first time ever leaving the country. So wow, um, really? You know, 
And, yeah. and you know, you talking about those visa issues and stuff, just it, it reminds you just why, how, how difficult it can be for many Pacific musicians to get their music out there and perform internationally. You know, there are all these systemic issues, things like the difficulty of getting visas, which a lot of Australian artists don't probably think about when they go overseas, um, can make mm. so, make it so much harder. So great work to, to the team getting Danielle and the band members who filled in and definitely to yeah Darren his wife and his and his new um baby daughter for for supporting them to get get here um so this is all for that big performance the one Adelaide performance how did it all go considering all the hurdles to get them there Hugo uh Priyanka it was really impressive and it was you know such a beautiful moment you know we'd been working so hard since Danielle had won Pacific Break for this moment and um, to see her on stage there with the band, her voice sounded incredible. The band was super tight, not a chord or beat out of time. You wouldn't have known that they were, you know, jamming. Uh, it was a bit of a makeshift band, you know, they were they were on top of it and Danielle and the band should be so proud of themselves. They played Pacific Breaks, winning the Pacific Break winning song Fight, um, which was, you know, a really profound moment. I f- those soaring vocals, every time I hear them, I get goosebumps. Uh, we also heard Let Me Love You, which is a personal favourite of mine. That's mm-hmm. the that's the one you get up and dance to. And then uh, the crowd was singing along. They were dancing. The dance floor was really fun. Um, there was this band called um, the Ripple Effect Band. They're staying oh, yeah. at the same hotel as us. Um, they're all-woman rock band from Arnhem Land. And they were up the front singing along which was nice to see. Um, Danielle also performed a brand new song for the first time called Sanguma, and it was all about um, raising awareness around sorcery-related violence in PNG. Here's a taste of it. song that, that was me yeah new song brand new song so uh, that was just me at the front of in the mosh pit there <laughs> where, recording on my phone <laughs> um, <laughs> nice one and, and it's interesting you said it was about fighting sorcery related violence because Danielle is famous for weaving those social issues through her music right exactly as always yes tackling important issues through the music and helping raise awareness I spoke to a woman from Solomon Islands who was up the front and um, is a fan of Danielle's. She'd been following her for a few years now and she said it was just so great to see the Pacific represented at the festival. Um, and, yeah, after the show, you know, the, the sense of relief among the band was palpable. I think they were very pleased that they got up there in front of so many people in a foreign country and, you know, safely nailed the set. Oh, that's wonderful. And, and you know, there are an amazing set of artists who are at Will Adelaide. I, I went through this lineup. I mean, there's, um, I think Angel Olsen is there. Um, they've got Florence and the Machine, some, you know, massive international artists. Did Danielle, did the band get to meet any of them? Yeah, so it's it's been a really sociable environment here at the hotel where all the artists are staying you know, you go down to breakfast and you'll bump into someone. Uh, so, you know, I think on the Saturday morning at breakfast, the band ended up sitting and sharing a table with um, Fantastic Negrito, who's a blues singer from the United States. Oh, yeah, I know um, him. Amazing artist. Yeah. 
Yeah, we saw him yesterday and it was fantastic. Um, Danielle bumped into Norwegian indie pop star Aurora in the lobby, um, which was a great moment for her. She got some selfies. And, yeah, and then we also organised a couple meetups with some of the artists on the lineup who, you know, live a little bit closer to home. So we met up with um, Small Island Big Song, which is a really interesting music collective representing island peoples from across the world. They put on uh, an impromptu performance using traditional instruments from PNG, Madagascar, Mauritius and Taiwan when Danielle and the band got to meet them backstage. And um, Richard is in uh, Small Island Big Song. He's one of the musicians there and um, he's from PNG. So oh, wow. funnily enough, they, they all knew each other. So <laughs> that was really cool. And that's amazing how the connections can be formed at these festivals. And um, we play Big Island, uh, Big Music, Small Island, or Small Island Big Music a lot on Pacific Beat as well, uh, along with Danielle. Yeah. Um, so can't wait to see what comes from all these connections being made. Hugo, thank you for you, so much for your time, for giving us an update on Wamadalid this morning on Pacific Beat. It's a pleasure. That was Hugo Hodge giving us the latest from Wamadalade. And if you stick around on ABC Radio Australia, I think coming up later this week, they'll have a showing, a bearing of that show.